You're listening to Illini Life Audio, messages from a community of Christian believers on the campus of University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. For more audio and video content, visit IlliniLife.org. My name is Brooke Summers, and I'm one of the staff members here at iLife, and I'm also part of the team that helps put Sunday mornings together. Um, So it really is an honor to be with you guys this morning. Some of you guys a couple of weeks ago experienced your first quad day. I did a little math um, yesterday, and I realized that was my 19th quad day. Isn't that crazy? I know. We're getting to the point where, like, I've lived here more than I've lived anywhere else in my entire life. So, um, So it's exciting to be here with you guys, and I really do feel that it is an honor and a privilege to open up God's word and see what Jesus wants to say to us um, today. So uh, if you were not with us last week, I wanted to let you know that we are starting a new series this morning. It's called Imago Day: Recovering Our True Humanity. Let me get the slide to come up. Look at that slide. Isn't that nice? That's Russ Dietrich right there. Let's just give him a little round of applause. But it's On staff, we have some amazing people who are talented at things like graphic design, which I'm not. So mine would have looked like a really bad word clip art thing put together from 1980. So um, that is great. So anyways, uh, as you can see, this series is four weeks long. We're going to cover topics such as diversity, shame, human trafficking, and Pastor Fred is going to wrap it up in four weeks with a talk on restoring Imago Day. Our hope as a teaching team is that these messages provide a starting point. While our preaching on these topics will not be exhaustive, our hope is that we give you sturdier answers and a Christ-centered understanding of what it means to be Imago Dei. So today, I'll be kicking off the series. Um, Before we start interacting with diversity in the image of God, first, I thought we probably should take some time to discuss what Imago Dei means. So unless you've read about this topic before or or are fluent in Latin, Imago Dei probably doesn't mean that much to you or anything at all. The first thing that pops into my mind when I hear Imago is this. (laughs) And since we all know Iago from Disney's Aladdin is not in the Bible, we probably should go to a different source for the answer. So Imago Dei is Latin for the image of God. This term, image of God, found in Genesis 1, is found in Genesis 1. Right in the beginning of the story of God, found in the book of Genesis, we encounter this important truth. The first 25 verses of Genesis lay out God's stunning and powerful act of creation. He created the heavens, he created the earth, and he created everything that fills it. But in verse 26, he does something special. Something profound happens. God creates the first humans. And if you have your Bible, go ahead and let's just turn to chapter 1 in Genesis. If you have a Bible app, you can bring out your phone. I promise I won't think you're texting. Um, And if you don't have either of those or just don't feel like bringing it out, that's fine. I'm also going to have all the scripture I share today up um, on the slide. So let's go ahead and we're going to read. I'll read this to you and we'll read it together. Genesis 1, 26 through 31, and this is the New International Version. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and over all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. 
So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds of the sky and every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. This will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And so it was. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Okay. So after reading Genesis chapter 6, when God says, let us create God, let's, let's create man in our own image, I bet you all totally get what it means to be made in the image of God, right? Well, if you were like me, when I first heard this passage as a kid, and when I ran through it all through my life in different settings and contexts, you probably could take a guess at what it meant, but you maybe weren't totally sure. I mean, there's something about, like, maybe there's, like, we're in charge of some stuff, and then there's some stuff we can eat, which is kind of cool, but we're just going to move on. Um, there's something also about being, um, maybe we reflect God, like, maybe how, like, a mirror reflects the image that looks at it. So maybe, like, when I look at myself, I look at God, I don't know, maybe something like that. Or maybe it means that when I'm being a good person, when I'm not being selfish or yelling at one of my siblings or comparing myself to somebody else and being jealous, maybe that's when I'm the image of God. Well, if you're unsure about what it means, I have some good news for you. Um, through scholarship and reading of the Bible in its original context, um, with the original readers in mind, we can understand what it means to be made in the image of God. And this is important because understanding that humans are created in the image of God helps us better understand who God is, who we are, and how we relate to both God, each other, and the earth. To help us understand what God means when he said that we are created in his image, I want to share with you a video from the Bible Project. And if you've not seen this or you're like, the Bible Project, what's that? It's awesome. That's all I'm going to say. So I'm going to show you a video and then you can watch more on your own. Um, but this video does a fantastic job of unpacking Genesis chapter 1 through 3, but a spe specifically chapter 1, and how it relates to the whole story of God. So we're going to watch this video. It's about five minutes long. But while we're doing it, I want you to look for a couple of things. I want you to look for answers to the following questions. So one, this is time you get to be U of I kids and like find out the right answers. And so in ancient times, who was commonly understood to be God's image? That's question one. Two, who does God say is made in his image? Three, what do image bearers share? So who's commonly understood to be God's image bearer in ancient times? Who does God say? And what do image bearers share? And then I also want you to pay attention to where Jesus fits in to this whole concept of image of God. So let's go ahead and watch the video together. So if you lived in ancient Bible times, 
Odds are you lived under the authority of a king. And many of these kings claimed that they were oh. gods, and they would even call themselves the image of God. Meaning they had authority to tell people what to do, order things to be made. Yeah, they got to define good and evil. And these kings would often make statues of themselves, which in Hebrew were called selim, often translated as idol or image. But for Israel, they didn't view their kings as the god. In fact, they were never supposed to even make images of God. It's exactly right, and that was really unique for that time and culture. This is rooted, first of all, in Israel's belief that you can't reduce the creator God down to any one thing in creation. But there's another reason. People aren't to make images of God because God has already made images of himself. When did he do that? Well, let's go to page one of the Bible. And the first person we meet there is God. He's the one with authority over all creation. He speaks and creation obeys. And he defines what is good and not good. In other words, he alone is king. But then surprisingly, as the pinnacle of all of God's creative work, he makes humans. And he calls all of them the image of God. So he gives all humans the authority to rule. Exactly. That's what he goes on to say. He tells the humans to subdue the earth and to rule it. And so this task that once belonged only to elite kings is here in the Bible the task of every human being. This was a revolutionary statement in its day because all humans are being called to rule and to participate in the human project. So what does this mean? I mean, how are we all supposed to rule? So the picture we get in Genesis is gardening. Gardening? Yes, gardening. So they rule the earth by cultivating it, by harnessing all of the earth's raw potential and then making something more and new out of it. So growing food for each other. Yes, but that also includes growing families then, which become neighborhoods. And then they create communities where people are going to work and take care of each other and build businesses and cities that will expand to new places and so on. So ruling is really the day-to-day -day acts of our work and creativity. Yes, we take the world somewhere. This is humanity's divine and sacred task. Yeah, and this all sounds really nice. And humans have designed some pretty great things. But just as often we create things that cause a lot of suffering and a lot of injustice, so maybe we shouldn't actually be ruling. Huh? Yeah, so the Bible addresses this. In Genesis, what happens is that God gives humans a choice about how they're going to rule. So are they going to use their authority for the benefit of others, which is God's definition of good, or are they going to turn away and define good and evil for themselves and use their authority for self-advantage? And in the story, they choose to define good and evil on their own terms. And so this is the Bible's depiction of the human condition. So sometimes we pull off amazingly good stuff, but just as often, despite our best intentions, we act selfishly and we create evil in the world. And so we're stuck as mediocre rulers making a mess of things. But that's not the end of the story. So the Bible goes on and it makes this claim that all of this was resolved when God bound himself to humanity through Jesus. And he showed us what it looks like to truly rule as a human. So what does it look like? Well, Jesus ruled by serving and by seeking the best for others, by putting himself underneath them and loving not just his friends, but also his enemies. And that's not a typical way to rule. And not only that, Jesus confronted the consequences of all of the evil and the death that we have created by our messed up ways of ruling. And he takes it. I mean, he lets it kill him. 
And so when the New Testament writers looked back to Jesus' resurrection, they see a whole new future opening up for all humanity. Jesus is a new way to be human. Yeah, that's why they called Jesus the image of God or the new human. And not only that, they also believe that Jesus' divine life and power is now available to heal and to transform us to become our life and power. And this sounds really nice, but what does it really look like? So practically, the Apostle Paul said it looks like people being filled by Jesus' own presence and spirit, filled with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and integrity and gentleness and self-control. He says this is the new humanity that God wants to create in us so that we become people in whom God's image is being restored, people who will move the human project forward. And that's actually how the story of the Bible ends. It's a renewed world where God is on his throne and his servants are all around him, but they're the ones ruling over this new world, taking it into new, uncharted territory with Jesus as their healer and their guide. pretty cool, huh? Makes you want to look, go look up some more of those. Um, so anyways, though, so there's so much that we could unpack after watching that video. In the coming weeks, we will do some of that. But for today, I want to go back to the three questions. Do you remember those three questions I asked you to pay attention to before? Um, so I'm going to ask, this is, the this is the part of the message where we're going to pretend we're not at church and you're in a classroom. So it's like audience participation. So if you're one of those like, ooh, ooh, raise my hand people, this is your moment. So in ancient times... Who was commonly understood to be made in the image of God? A little bit louder. The king. the king, absolutely. And who did God say was made in his image? All people, everyone, exactly. Okay, now this one might be a little bit harder to remember, but what do image bearers share? Sure, absolutely. Absolutely. Any idea? Yes, the ability to rule and reign. So shared rulership and reignership with Jesus. Reignership, that's not even a word. Dude, I wish I could delete that off the MP3, I promise. I know that that's not a real word. So the rule and reign of the king, that's what image bearers share. So let's just sit in that truth for a minute. That in ancient times, it was the king. It was a certain person who bared God's image. But God says, all people share his image, and that all people who follow King Jesus share in that rulership and in that reign. So let's just sit there for a minute. Both genders, all ethnicities, with diverse gifts and abilities, all people are made in God's image. God's creation of humanity is imbued with dignity. It's not something we have to give each other. It is something that all people already have. And it's not just a few. Again, it's both genders, all ethnicities with diverse gifts and abilities. Being made in God's image is not conditional. A person's intellect, bank account, physical attractiveness, social status, skin tone, nationality, or any other descriptor that does not, de does not determine if someone is created in God's image. While a person can choose whether or not he or she will use their status as image bearer for the glory of God and the good of others, or use it for evil or their own self-interest, 
God makes it clear that because he created them, they have dignity. And if you are here with us today, and you say that Jesus is your ruler and your healer, the way you rule and reign should look like King Jesus. If we share in his rule and reign, we need to see the dignity in all people. Followers of King Jesus recognize the image of God in all people. And if you're looking for a takeaway today, that's it. Followers of King Jesus recognize the image of God in all people. But even as I stand here and I say this and we're talking about diversity, we know that there are those who lead nations, lead governments, lead institutions, who are in our neighborhoods, who maybe are in our dorm floors, who do not think all people are made in God's image. And the way they lead, the way they rule and reign, they abuse power and they demonstrate that treating others with dignity is not a priority. They have determined what is good for themselves and have rejected to rule and write the rule and reign of Jesus. So as we see and we feel this tension of living in a diverse society and on a diverse campus, sometimes we can see that tension actually creates beauty and understanding when diverse people come together and lean in and work together and use what they have for each other's benefits. But all too often, our Facebook feeds and news sites are filled with stories of racism, sexism, elitism, just to name a few. Some of us are overwhelmed and frustrated by being judged and treated with contempt. Others of us see the mistreatment of our fellow image bearers and don't know what to do, don't know how to help, or don't know how to make a difference, or are afraid to do anything at all. We see things are messed up, but we don't know how to change it. And while this may be incomplete, and it will be incomplete, I would like to offer a few next steps for us, some immediate next steps. My hope is that these next steps will help us as followers of Jesus see the image of God in all people. Some of these steps we can literally do today. When the announcements are done and Fred comes up and prays and said, y'all can go home, you can do some of these things today. So here we go. I have three suggestions, three challenges, three things I'd like for you guys to lean into. First, study the scriptures. See what the scriptures have to say about diversity. God has a lot to say about diversity. It's all through the Old Testament. It's all through the New Testament. Jesus talks about it. Paul talks about it. John talks about it. It's all over. So I'm going to go through a couple passages with us. Um, I'm going to go through them up here. And if you want to pull out your Bible, you can. Uh, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. We're going to look at this here. Let's see what these passages have to say about who Jesus is seeking to make a part of his church. And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you to the very end of the age. 
And then we're going to flip ahead a little bit to Paul writing to the church in Galatians. Galatians chapter 3, verse 8. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed by you. This isn't just a New Testament Jesus concept. If you do the study in the Old Testament, and if you were here with us last, um, I think it was last spring and fall, we did a lot of teaching on this topic about the story of God being the newest thing from Genesis on. Oh, my goodness. It's right when I start yelling. under my shirt and okay here's the thing lady preacher problems a lot of our pants and skirts and stuff don't have pockets that are easily accessed to put a cord into so you have to like slide it down the back of your shirt tuck it in making sure everything's still covered so no i cannot take this hello okay there we go all right so we're going to move along galatians chapter 3 27 through 28 and through all of that mess Just remember what we're looking for right now in these passages is who is Jesus seeking to make part of his church? Galatians 3, 27 through 29. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And then one last scripture. Revelation 7, 9 through 10. This is John writing. After this, I looked. There before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. And from these passages, we see a phrase repeated. We see that in these passages that it is all nations. Jesus is building a diverse church, a diverse group of image bearers. In Galatians, we see that God is offering salvation and offering the ability to be part of his church to all people, all genders, ethnicities, regardless of social status. Or as Joshua Butler in his book, The Pursuing God, stated, Jesus didn't die so I could hang out with my buddies. He died to reconcile a gloriously diverse humanity. And that is just a small portion of what God has to say on diversity. Take the time to open the word and study when you leave today. Second thing you can do as soon as the service is over is you can have the hard conversations about diversity and ask the uncomfortable questions. Questions like, we say diversity is good and important, but we often stick to our own cliques. Groups of folks who think like us, 
people who get us. Why is that? Why do I do that? Why is it so hard for me to step out of my comfort zone or out of myself and enter into someone else's reality? Or another card question could be, the Bible says that Jesus is building his church with diverse people. But when I look around my life, most of us are pretty alike. Why is that? How can we change that? Do we want to change that? Are we willing to change that? I want to encourage you to have these hard conversations with your friends, in your dorm floors, in your connect groups, in your home fellowships, and around your table in the dining hall. During announcements today, you'll hear about some opportunities coming up for us as iLifers and guests to engage in some small groups where we're going to talk about these tough, conver- these tough questions and have these hard conversations. These groups will be places you can ask those things. So study scripture, have the hard conversations, ask the tough questions, and three, seek out opportunities to build relationships with people who aren't just like you. Grab coffee. Ask them about their life experiences. Listen to other image bearers' stories. Ask them about their thoughts on diversity in Jesus. Really listen to their stories of difficulty and hardship. Compassion, empathy, and understanding have room to grow when we lean in and we listen. As I bring this message to a close, we as a church family are going to practice listening to another image bearer's story. I want to invite Andre up again. He shared his my story already today, but I've invited him to share a poem. He writes poetry quite often, and I want him to share a poem that he wrote this summer. He shared it with a small group of iLifers that are around this summer for our summer church. And for me, it was really impactful, really helpful. Um, and I wanted to give him space to be able to do that again with us. So come on up, Andre. And Andre's going to go ahead and take some time to introduce his poem, share it. And then that will be it for today. So this was a poem I wrote a couple months ago. I was inspired by shootings by police officers of black men, as well as uh, subsequent conversations with friends about how people can begin to understand each other and how Christians can or should respond. If there are three things that I want to see happen in this world, one of those would be true racial reconciliation. Have we made progress? Sure, but there's a long, long way to go. Uh, There's something beautiful to me about seeing people of different races, different backgrounds, loving one another and living together in community. Being part of an interracial marriage, I'm blessed every day with seeing how true love covers everything. Stacy and I obviously look different, but love is greater than anything. And also I just wanted to give some further context to this poem. What I wanted to address is the issue of injustices against black Americans. And not just black men being shot by white officers, but many injustices in our society. Writing this, I thought about housing discrimination, employment discrimination, and other injustices. There are many other issues that need to be addressed, such as black-on-black crime, 
absent fathers and trust between black communities and police officers. But this poem specifically addresses injustices against blacks. This poem is a call for understanding. We need to understand each other and the perspectives we bring, which means we have to know each other. We need to listen to each other with love. So I wanted to write just a few things about growing up as me. And this poem touches on forgiveness, touches on black and white people and all people really seeing each other on the same level. It's an acknowledgement of sin that divides us and a call for Christians to stand against injustice through actions, prayer, and whatever way we can, and for churches to discuss these things, as Brooke talked about. We need to all see each other as God's children and call on our Lord to help. We can heal this land. One other quick thing in this poem that you'll hear is Black Lives Matter. It can be very insensitive to hear in response that all lives matter. Black Lives Matter is not a statement that says white lives or any other lives don't matter. It's simply expressing that black lives matter too. Throughout our country's history, today included, black lives have not mattered to the same extent as white lives. Some may want to deny that, but it's true. This is just a statement to say we are just as important. All lives do matter, but black lives haven't mattered as much. I hope that this poem challenges you and makes you uncomfortable, because we need to be uncomfortable sometimes. But I also hope it encourages you and inspires you to be a part of change, whatever that means for you. So it's called Time to Deal a New Hand. O oh, Father, our Father, why the reign of injustice? O oh, why, our Lord, did you entrust us to love your people, to care for your land? Generations and generations have suffered from a bad hand. A hand dealt swiftly when the fall descended, leading to sin and depravity for which we should be apprehended. A hand of an oppressor denying unalienable rights, a hand that brings about hatred and undeserved plights, a hand that stirs prejudice and racism, which only leads us to fracture and schism. It's a problem we don't want, but it's here. We got it. We got to find a way forward. Will you help us scheme and plot it? Why the sideways look at an interracial pair? Why the instant fear? Because my skin is not fair. Don't clutch your purse tight. Don't worry. I won't take it. Really love me and my people. Don't patronize. Don't fake it. Don't call me boy. That comes with baggage, in fact. And you know when you call something ghetto, I know you identify it with blacks. To the cop who pulled us over on the way to D.C., guess you didn't see everybody else flying past at higher speed. What you did see was a car full of do-rags and darker skin. You even asked us about the rims because I know you saw them spin. You know what? I can move on, but the story didn't stop there. You proceeded to pull out our luggage and search it bare. You brought the drug-sniffing dog. What brought that action? Now people riding see me as a criminal with an infraction. I forgive you, though. You're a product of the sin we're enslaved to. Oppression, hatred that had blacks enslaved through centuries, lives bought and sold. My people fought on with hope one day these stories would be old. While we abolish that slavery, still injustice exists. Don't be in denial. I must implore you to resist, saying there's no issue or it's blown out of proportion. It's a very real thing. The knowledge only comes through absorption. My brothers and sisters of every race, I ask you to converse with each other face to face. Listen as your black friends describe what they feel. Listen as your white friends wrestle with how they can help us heal. We have problems going both ways. We're in this together. The sooner we see that, then this storm we can weather. 
Not every white person is a vicious clan member, for many stand alongside with anger, hot as an ember. Some don't quite understand how to help, and that's okay. But don't just push truth aside. Don't tell it to go away. Concern for injustice is not to bring a race down. It's to say oppressing another should be met with a frown. Frown turned to anger, turned to action for change, where injustice has made the exception and to feel strange. All lives matter. You know what? That's true. Just take a look around and remember that black lives matter, too. We go back to the fall and know we are steeped in sin, but the father has a plan and I know he will win. It's simple to say all we need is Christ. That's true, but ignores the struggle and the fight. Christ has made the way, but we have to accept. And Satan is crafty, so we must be adept at fighting against him with the truth that we know that God the Father reigns, so injustice must go. Our God is just, and we're made in his image, but we allow ourselves to be stained with an ugly blemish. Injustice must go, and Christ is the way, but we must do our part until we arrive at the day. Christians must speak. Christians must stand. Christians must say, it's time to deal a new hand. Christians must say, I won't stand for this. Christians must say, this boat, I won't miss. That wave of anger or emotion you might feel. Don't let it pass without learning how you can help heal. Christians must say, I know a place I can go at home on my knees. I can listen to God who'll show me the part that he wants me to play. Yes, Lord, I will is really the only thing to say. We must remember 2 Chronicles 7, 14. For God the Father gives us the remedy for this ugly scene. We must humble ourselves, pray and seek his face, repent of our sin, and he will hear from his glorious place. He will forgive the sin and heal our land. This, my brothers and sisters, is our new hand. It is our time. Stand up and show out. Raise your voices. Now is the time to shout. Let injustice reign no more. Let Satan know he's not ahead in the final score. Let freedom ring as part of a dream I once heard. From east to west, may those finally be true words. When this becomes true, what a glorious thing. I think you know the rest from the Honorable Dr. King. It's time to join hands and stand as a united people. Time to view each and every one of us as united equals. All loved by God, loved by one another. We know we can get there thanks to Jesus, our brother. He died for you and me. Sin has lost. It's up to you and me to remember the cost. Remember the cost also of lives lost in tragedy. If we can't fix this, my friends, that is a travesty. Pray for me and I will pray for you. Together we will figure out this new hand played with truth. God, our new hand will be what you meant all along. Help us stand united. Help us stand strong. Help us fight injustice and see what's wrong. Help us see you in each other and we'll see that we all belong. Thank you.